Welcome to the Tax Girl Podcast, your home for tax news, tax info, and tax policy. In each episode, I'll share conversations about taxes, money, and the choices that we make. I'm your host, Kelly phillips for Tax Girl. I'm a practicing tax attorney, and I work with taxpayers like you every day. There's a lot to talk about, so let's get started. What color is your tax professional? That's a pretty direct question right out of the gate, and I'm hoping that it gives you a sense of the conversation that we're hoping to have today. If you follow me on social, you know that I've often spoken about being the only woman or one of a handful of women in the room at tax professional events. It's something that I've been conscious of and something that I've struggled with. But as dire as the numbers are for women in the profession, we make up about a third of all lawyers, even though we graduate at an equal or higher rate than men, and about 40% of all CPAs, the numbers for people of color are much more dire. When I asked on social, which is admittedly a non-scientific survey, about the ethnicity of folks' tax professionals, the answers were 80% white, less than 8% black, 6% Latino, and 6% Asian American Pacific Islander. As of May 29, 2019, there are 654,375 actively licensed CPAs. According to the National Association of Black Accountants, an estimated 5,000 of those CPAs are Black. The number of Black accountants has changed little in the past two decades, while the numbers of other minorities in the profession have increased. According to the AICPA's 2017 Trends in the Supply of Accounting Graduates and the Demand for Public Accounting Recruits report, 3% of professional staff at CPA firms are Black. Less than 1% of CPAs in those firms are Black, and just 0.3% partners are Black. There isn't a similar survey for tax lawyers, but there are lawyer statistics. A 2019 American Bar Association survey indicated that there are 1,352,027 active lawyers in the United States. Of those, only 5% of lawyers are African-American. Those statistics have not changed over the past decade, even though the overall minority populations in the U.S. have increased over the same time. So I wanted to know why is that? And what can we do to change that? And I thought that what needed to happen is that we needed to have a conversation with somebody who has firsthand experience. And that's why I'm introducing today's guest. Eric Pierre is a certified CPA with a long established career in the tax and finance industry. His firm, Pierre Accounting, has offices in California and Texas. Thank you for being here today, Eric. Thank you for having me, Kelly. And those are some very, uh, staggering uh, numbers that you just read almost shed a tear. <laughs> yeah, no, I actually honestly thought that they were going to be like, I didn't expect them to be high, but I, I did expect them like the, the 0.3% of partners I expected to be much higher. And you're both. So you're, you're a CPA, <laughs> you're black and a partner. So uh, yeah, yeah. You're, you're part of that 0.3%. So tell us before we kind of start talking about the, the profession, how did you end up as a CPA? Because I think that, that we should start there with how did you become a tax professional? Oh, interesting. So uh, how to become one? Well, you know, growing up, you know, I was a tall kid and I played basketball and I'm 6'8 and I actually did play, you know, professional basketball for a quick minute. I saw that on LinkedIn. I'm so impressed. Yeah. I, I, yes. Thank you. <laughs> Very short career a couple of years ago, but you know, in high school, I was, uh, you know, messing around my backyard, you know, working on ducking and shooting. And my dad pulls me aside, says, you know, son, I'm not getting any letters from Duke. 
I'm not getting letters from North Carolina. I'm not getting any calls from any NBA scouts or agents. So you may want to have a backup plan because I don't see you uh, making the NBA anytime soon. Mm-hmm. And so my dad happens to be a CPA. Now he never pushed me in that direction, but in high school, I did an assignment for a teacher. I think it was Miss Erskine talk uh, on a profession. So I said, well, my dad's an accountant. Let me look up why he chose that. So I looked it up and then I saw that it was recession proof. And I saw the impact that you could have on businesses as well. Since Coach K and Dean Smith aren't calling me, <laughs> I might also be the Michael Jordan of uh, accountants. So I decided at that point that I'm going to be like my dad, be CPA and maybe someday be a CFO of a, a large company. So that's how, how it came to be. So was he excited that you decided to, to also become an accountant? Yeah. You know, my dad doesn't, you know, he's not a real emotional guy, but you know, I think as a man, he would have to be because that's legacy. Cause you know, now we have two black CPAs, in one household, and we have major cities where you can't even find two in an entire city. And we have that in our household today. So I would hope that he's excited. Right. Right. <laughs> so how did you end up owning your own practice? Like, why did you decide? Cause I, I own my firm as well. And, and I know that it's not for everybody. So how did you decide to open your own shop instead of going for like one of the big four or another firm? By the way, I did uh, start with Deloitte in Houston. It, it was two things that happened. First was when I was working for a Fortune 100 company at the time, McDermott, my boss, who was a British guy, his name is Matt Gannon, you know, gregarious, hilarious dude. He was one of my bosses, pulls me aside one day, says, you know, Eric, you're really good at what you do. But you're too smart for everybody in this room. You need to go on your own. And I was offended because I was like, who is this rich white guy telling me that I can't climb the ladder like him? Right. <laughs> but, you know, God used him to prepare the way. And then and towards uh, 2015, I just got tired of the glass ceiling. And, you know, I had stood up for a colleague of a different ethnicity who was racially abused. And I realized that this was, you know, I can't put up with being an environment where I have to stay silent on racism and sexism. And so I started my own shop, moved to California and, you know, I did not buy a practice. I was not groomed to be a partner, uh, put my life savings up and started building from there. So that's what that happened. Did you find before you started your practice, were you often the only black man in the room? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it was rare that I wasn't. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, in Deloitte, I was in a class of peer group and maybe 65. There may have been, you know, two of us, but they didn't send both of us to the same trainings in Scottsdale. You know, we always were apart. And I noticed right. that. But yeah, I was oftentimes I'm the only black man in the room for most of my life uh, up until college. The only time and even after most of the time, I'm not the only black guy will either be at church or on the basketball court. Right. Did you feel like you had to work harder? Because I know that's something about, and obviously I'm not a person of color, but as a woman, (laughs) I know that I was the only woman in the room a lot. And I was asked on occasion to hold coffee or to get coffee. And I was called doll and that sort of thing. And I knew that I had to work harder so that people didn't look at me first as being female. Did you have that, like a similar feeling? Yeah. For me, it was twofold. So, you know, I'm a son of two Haitian immigrants. So my parents came from Haiti. Mm-hmm. they, you know, worked very hard before I was even born to give me the opportunities that I have. So I was always taught from day one that, you, you know, you being, you know, you being Haitian and you being black, 
you're going to have to work 10 times harder mm-hmm. than everybody else. So I was taught that from day one. And I knew that, and particularly my hometown, Katy, Texas, where, you know, I might be one or two black honors kids and, you know, starting at Deloitte, you know, I had a lot of peers wonder if I was tired because of affirmative action, even though I was one of the top accountant students at my university and I was actually well accomplished and did unique things like, you know, That's write crazy. the, yeah, even though like I did things such as I was the first non-Greek student to make, to win homecoming court at my university in a decade. And I helped write legislation to where the, uh, the resident assistants to, to this day are still getting room and board because of what I did back in fall 2001. Wow. But most people don't know that. Mm-hmm. And my school didn't get necessarily give me the proper recognition for that legislation that other students got for different things. Right. When you're kind of coming up and you're, you're, you're starting your firm, you know, when you're, when you're first in business, you're trying to stay afloat. You try to be as quiet as you can. Sometimes you just kind of <laughs> be right. So head down, you work hard. Right. And so of course I went over um, to check out your website before our conversation today. And there's a pop-up about race that shows up on your website. First of all, I've not seen that. So kudos, like I've not seen that from even like the bigger companies. That was the first time that I'd seen anything like that. But did you hesitate like even for a minute about doing that? Because I know that, again, it's, it's one thing to be outspoken about feminism and racism and things that you feel strongly about, especially in this climate. Mm-hmm. Do you worry that it hurts your business? Do you worry that you'll lose business? And I know it's really easy for people to say you don't care, but as a business person, if you're losing business, you care. Absolutely. Did you hesitate? Did it like how did that conversation happen and what made you think, you know what, I don't I'm gonna do this? Okay, well that's a great question. My employee, Kirsty Conway, she's my direct operations who keeps me from, you know, ruining myself. She's <laughs> great at keeping me organized. And, and sometimes she has to keep me from sticking my foot in my mouth. You know, we were talking on the phone and it was right after the uh, George Floyd video came out. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, she had asked me, you know, she's a, a Latin lady. She looks Caucasian, but she's not. So if you call her white, she might sucker punch you, by the way, because she's not. <laughs> okay. Duly <laughs> <laughs> <Julie> noted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, we were talking about a couple of things. So she said, do you have a problem with us, you know, protests? No, I don't. But if you get into trouble, you need to call me so I can have a lawyer get you out, out of whatever you're in. Right. I need to know that. And then the other thing was, you know, Eric, you should write a statement on diversity inclusion. And so she suggested to me and I was really nervous because, you know, most of my life I was, t- you know, I was t- basically told to be seen and not heard. Right. Whether it's through my father's work experience, he's a tall black guy. He's taller than me, he's six nine. Okay. You know, he had a boss tell him, say, Les, you're six nine and black. Everybody knows you don't need to talk. Wow. And so it was kind of passed down to me. Of course, I'm a big loud guy. So mm-hmm. I didn't <laughs> I obviously didn't listen to that very well. But I was really, you know, concerned of uh losing business and or that material being used against me. But then, you know, I had a call with a guy named Rod Hatley who's a taxpayer in San Diego. He's with the Lombardi family office. And, you know, I said, Rod, you know, and Rod's a Caucasian guy. I said, Rod, I'm concerned about doing this because of the kind of backlash I might get. But he said, you know, Eric, with the time we're in in this country, if you don't do this, you're going to regret it later. Mm -hmm. And so I wrote it and I posted it and then didn't look back. 
what's the response been? Has anyone said anything positive or negative to you? I've gotten a lot of uh, positive responses. I mean, if anyone say anything negative, I've not heard it, mm-hmm. but I just wanted to share my heart and, you know, talk about my upbringing, you know, talk about, you know, the basketball game being called the N-word age 11 to, and to the point where, you know, my family did a good job to, of teaching me that despite racist things to go through that I need to love my white brothers and sisters and forgive them and basically emulating Dr. King. And which is interesting because, you know, our culture, you know, we were the first successful slave rebellion in Haiti and mm-hmm. we don't have the issues of slavery, but, you know, France and other white nations hurt us economically. But yet my folks are like, you need to be able to get along with them and coexist if you're going to live in this country. Right. So, right. I just wanted to share that. And I have a diverse staff. You know, we, ha- we have a couple of women, a couple of men, you know, we have white, black and Latin, you know, and we hire, you know, minority contractors and, you know, it allows us to be able to serve the entire world. And I've always told people, it's like, you know, with my team and my firm, how diverse it is, I could go toe to toe with the big firms and we can serve anybody, anywhere, any place. Right. Right. So when we talk about why uh, being diverse matters and why inclusion matters, it's it's exactly one of the things that you just said. It's it's when people see someone who looks like them or who comes from a similar background, whether it's ethnic, cultural, economic, there's this sense of like, I relate to you. It helps build trust. And in, in the money professions, so whether it's tax or finance or, you know, law and accounting, trust is important yes. so that you can serve clients. If you, you know, if they don't trust you, then the relationship doesn't work. So the trust is really important. And I don't want to leave the impression that I think like, if you're a woman, you need to hire a woman an attorney. Like, I don't mean to give that impression at all. But I do think that when you walk into a room and you see that the room looks like someone in the room looks like you, I do think that there's a level of comfort and a level of relatability that you might not have otherwise. Absolutely. And for me, you know, uh, Kirsty was my first full-time employee. And she's a woman. And one thing that I'm always reminded of them around her is, you know, I think a lot of us men are insecure that women are smarter than men. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I will um, agree they, with you. <laughs> I, y'all are. I mean, <laughs> you all see things that we don't see. You all have, you know, an incredible intuition. There are times that having a diverse team is important because there's certain interactions with certain clientele where sometimes I struggle because I have a, I have a very strong personality mm-hmm. and I'm very outspoken, but there's some clients that are specifically our well-to-do clients where I have to defer to my staff to help me understand I'm having a hard time connecting with so-and-so. And sometimes they step in to, you know, smooth that situation to give me tips on how to approach it. Because like you said, it's that trust. and mm-hmm. But the irony is, even though I'm black, I grew up like Carlton Banks in a manner. So I actually do get along with well-to-do people, but there's still some cultural barriers. And that's what's important for me to have, you know, a diverse staff. But I also do have the advantage with the, you know, with my black clients, including the ones that are well-to-do, where we really see Ada because we're going through the same struggle, even though I have a client, a black realtor uh, in San Diego, he's doing really well. But he and I, 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 in fact, he coaches basketball and he played basketball. I played basketball. So there's the I and I there. And I actually learned this from one of my attorneys who's Caucasian. And people get offended by by this term. 
But targeted diversity does actually work in business. And I saw from his law firm before I started hiring people, he had just white employees. But then one day he figured out, you know what? Let me start hiring some Latino attorneys and some black attorneys in Houston. And his business tripled. And so when I saw it, I said, you know what? I need to do the same thing. Oh, I don't doubt that. I don't doubt that at all. Because I know even even just from a demographic perspective, when we first started out um, in our firm, I was pretty young. And uh, my husband, uh, who practiced with me, someone took him aside one day and said, you know, what would make our board feel better? It was a corporate client. What would make our board feel better is to see more gray hair at your firm. And it's true. Like, it's not just it's 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 about hiring from a spectrum of ages, a spectrum of color, a spectrum Mm -hmm. of gender. I think it makes a difference because, again, the world's made up of all kinds of people and they like to see people like to see people who look like them. Absolutely. I, there's a client I no longer work with. Uh, one of the things that hurt him, you know, in his startup was that he was young and he had the right business idea, but he didn't have any experienced people leading his company. Mm-hmm. And so in the industry that he was in, that industry is dominated by, you know, those gray haired people. And it got to the point to where he, when he was negotiating a contract, Actually, the other party is a client of mine. That client told, told my young client, he says, I'm not paying you to learn this industry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I do think it's important and someday, you know, I, now, now, Kelly, I am starting to have gray hair on my beard and my hair, though. So, <laughs> you, know, may, may, you know, maybe I need to buy the opposite just for men to start, you know, coloring my hair gray and get the, gotcha. get the Frederick Douglass look. That, that mm-hmm. might help me. So thank you for that, too. So, so you'll leave here today having learned something. If it's important, so if if we all we agree, and I think every I shouldn't say everybody, I think a lot of people agree that it's important. Then why aren't folks choosing law and accounting? Like I mentioned, some of the numbers. I know that there are reasons why the numbers drop off. So, for example, in the law in the legal profession, women and and men um, they enter law school at roughly the same numbers, but fewer women go through the ranks. Right. But when you look at the numbers, because I was actually looking at that um, that AICPA um, trend, the the study where they talk about accounting graduates, the numbers are already small for Black accounting majors to begin with. So it's not like fifty percent of accounting graduates are are Black, and then then all of a sudden we're seeing three percent in the firms. Why aren't folks like? Do you have conversations with your with your friends and and yes. ask them about their profession? So what what is it about the profession? Do you think? Now, first of all, the law profession, now I'm surprised that they're not our black lawyers because, you know, our country actually has has black superstar lawyers in this history. You know, Johnny Cochran, Carl Douglas, Justice Thomas on the, on the Supreme Court. Right. Clarence. Yeah. Right. So it, that, that surprised me because you could actually identify, you know, superstars that are black, whether you agree with their politics or not. Mm-hmm. But there are superstar African-American prominent ones in that industry. So those numbers baffle me. Right. I think for the accounting, there's a a few things. One, black people in general. So this is just my opinion, my experience. So some black people may not like me saying this. Most of the time when we get together, we don't talk about money. It's like this big secret. Mm -hmm. But yeah, you know, Caucasian people, when they get together, they talk about money. I believe that upper middle class and well-to-do white people may talk about money, but I grew up not so well-to-do and we didn't talk about money. So I do think there's an economic difference. Like I'm just saying just culturally from where I come from, like I understand. This, right. Right. Because I've seen. But what you're saying, I've also seen people talk about this on Twitter. 
is that the black culture traditionally does not focus on money. And I wonder if that's not also economic because there has been a tradition of not doing as well. Right. Right. And I'm also different because I grew up with a, a CPA as the head of the household, a strong right. black father. And part of it, it's that. And then also the other thing, and, you know, I keep set and I keep set use this example. I think that black people, we like to look up to celebrities mm-hmm. and our industry does not have that. And I think their art industry right now is kind of like where the NBA was in the 80s before it took off when in the 80s, the uh, late 70s, early 80s, the NBA focused on the team. But then David Stern switched to marketing and started focusing on the individual, Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, and Michael Jordan. Right. And guess what? The, the league has not been the same. Now, whether people like the league today with the protests, whatnot, but we all can agree that the NBA is a lot more global when they did that switch yeah. in our industry. The focus is on the firm. Well, for Black people, most Black folks don't even know of Black-owned firms. Mm-hmm. You know, like in Houston, the only one that I knew of for a long time was, you know, this firm, McConnell Jones, and they did government contracting. Nobody's knew about them because at Deloitte, they had to hire him to satisfy some government audit contracts. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know about some of the other Black-owned firms, and I'm a Black CPA. Right. I didn't know about it. Right, right. And when you think of superstars in industry, the only one that I can think of is Mark Kohler, and he's not even promoted by the AICPA. And so I think for Black folks, you know, most Black people are shocked when they learn that I'm an accountant. They, didn't even, they don't even know. A lot of them don't know that they're Black CPAs. Right. You know, so that's why I spent, part of the reason I spend money to promote the firm, promote myself, is to bring a, an awareness and also to inspire and encourage other Black accountants to get their CPA license. In fact, in the last 24 hours, I've been contacted by a couple young Black accountants, including one from who actually was born and raised in Haiti that lives right here in Austin, got a hold of me last night, thanks to tax Twitter. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Well, I think, so it's interesting that you, like you, when you talk about the superstars, because first of all, immediately what pops into my head is I kind of, now I want to know like who LeBron uses. I, I'm not kidding. I totally want to know like who's his accountant and I want to know who Steph Curry's accountant is. Because I do right. wonder if we knew, because we kind of, to your point about lawyers, we know who people's lawyers are, right? So it Absolutely. would actually be really interesting to know, like, are the, are the folks who are high profile, are they also using Black-owned businesses and are they using Black accountants? And would that make a difference in the way that we see the profession? I know some of them do, because when I was at an AICP minority conference, I know Ludacris had a partner at his accountant was a partner at PwC because he said it, but he mm-hmm. told us in a small room, but I think traditionally accounts are known to be seen and not heard. Right. And there has to be a switch. I think it's encourage, you know, if you go on my YouTube channel, I have clients to give testimonials about me. That's how my business started growing. Right. Me being black, I was never going to get business traditional way. So I had to disrupt the industry. So I started putting videos out there from clients that we did big things for. Mm-hmm. I, I got them to sign waivers. We did YouTube videos, we did commercials, but most of the firms are not doing that. Like, you know, I've never seen LeBron, you know, brag about his, you know, accountant who's <laughs> helped him build a massive $750 million fortune. Same thing, Michael Jordan, Steph Curry. We have no idea who they are. And some of them are probably black. Right. Some of the rappers talk about in their songs about their accountants, but we don't know who they are. You know, T.I.'s spoken about opportunity zones, but we don't know who T.I. and Killer Mike use. Right. For their taxes and their, and their, and 
if they're as pro-black as they say they're, I'm on the bet they're using a black-owned CPA firm in Atlanta, but right. I don't know who they are. Right. I have no idea. We've talked about, you know, visibility, and I think that's a huge thing. And then um, I had mentioned to you before, but I'm just going to kind of bring everybody else up to speed that last year, I was looking at a panel. It was a Pennsylvania Bar Institute panel for a CLE, which is continuing legal education for lawyers. It's the same thing as like CE for CPAs. And the panel was on the front of a brochure. And I just happened to notice there were a lot of attorneys on the front of that brochure Mm -hmm. and not one woman and not one person of color. And so I just posted something on my Facebook page that kind of said, like, I was surprised to not see any women or people of color on the panel. And the planner, the response was something else. Um, He posted a lot of things. He posted a lot of things. But one of the things he said was, he said, quote, my plan was to build a panel of experienced litigators with a diverse litigation background. It did not occur to me that a diverse racial or gender background would necessarily be relevant. And I thought that was really interesting because he acknowledged that diversity was a good thing. So he was looking for diverse litigators in terms of subject matter, but not in terms of people. And I thought that was really fascinating. And then he went on to say, had there been more time, perhaps I could have found excellent speakers who would have checked all the boxes. Oh, my god! I didn't. Maybe <laughs> next time I will. And then he went on to tout his colorblindness and suggested that he was being personally attacked. And um, oh. it was irritating. Oh, I, I don't see the, <laughs> but, the, I don't, yeah, the I don't, I don't see, see color. color. Yeah. Oh, my God. But I not necessarily. Every time I hear that, I, I, I almost I do. Right. Well, but it wasn't surprising. And so but but after this this discussion, um, I was talking to some friends of mine and, you know, it's this idea. Do you ever know when you've been chosen? because you ticked boxes. And and I know I have, I know I've been chosen because I'm female. I mean, I'm a good tax attorney. Like I, I think I'm a good tax attorney, but, um, but I know that there have been times that I've been chosen because they've told me that I've, I've had people say to me, we need a woman on the panel. Will you do it? And I've said yes, even in those circumstances, because I want to be the woman on the panel sometimes, because I feel like if I'm not, then there's maybe they don't ask somebody else. Has that happened to you? Like, Oh, have you been picked because you tick a box and ha- yes. bother you? Um, yes. Okay. There are two places I know of, two places I've worked at. One was mm-hmm. Deloitte. Now, Deloitte never told me that flat out, but when you looked at the peer group and you saw the composition, mm-hmm. uh, it was pretty clear to me that, you know, one of the reasons I was hired and I was so highly sought out was I checked all the boxes, you know, African-American and, uh, you know, my GPA. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was also sought out by, you know, Arthur Anderson, but they had the whole Enron thing. Arthur Anderson was a little different because I was also told I was, you had to do two or three breeds, you know, brains, beauty, and bullshit. And uh, they said I had uh, the, the brains and the beauty part because, you know, they knew I made homecoming. I did check that box for them. <laughs> right, right. That bothered me. And then the other place was when I worked at Abbott Laboratories, I'll, I'll never forget some bosses pulled me aside and said, we need you to do well because we're looking to promote African-Americans to executive positions. I don't want to say names of a boss. Say this is, they'll deny this conversation, but I know it happened. It, right. They pulled me aside, flat out told me. I mean, so, I'm not even, and I, that really bothered me because I'm like, so you had other black people before and you didn't want to promote them, but now you you think that, well, if I make it that that's the reparations to give the black labor force to your company, it's like, well, here's our 
here's our token and he sings the dances for us. So what do you have to complain about? Right. That's kind of the the thing I, I, I struggle with. And this is why I was, I was wondering, like, if I, if I told you, if I called you tomorrow and said, Hey, Eric, I'm doing a panel. It's all white people. I need a person of color. Do you want to talk? Do you look at that as an opportunity to yay? I'm being more visible. Or do you look at it as I can't believe that's the reason that you told me? Or do you think maybe it's a combination of I can't believe that's the reason you told me that I'm going to do it? Like, where does it kind of fit? At this point in my life, I would probably look at it as a combo, but I would look at more as an opportunity because, um, you know, you just never know what could come up of an opportunity like that. Mm -hmm. The best way for me to describe it for, for me and maybe a lot of Black professionals, and I don't know if they'll say it quite like how I say it, but I think the difference between myself and my white counterparts is that most of my white counterparts have a job. We have a responsibility. Wow. I do take those opportunities because for some, I may be the only, the first black professional at a certain level or caliber that they've been around because of choices that they've made, you know, where they went to school, where they work, who the bosses are hiring. Sometimes all it takes for change is just that, that seed to be planted. You know, we just had Herman Cain pass away. He was one of very few black CEOs, but if it wasn't for Herman Cain, Herman Cain inspired a bunch of black people to, you know, build businesses, whether you like his politics or not. Look at, you know, we had our first black president, Barack Obama, whether you like him or not. He inspired a generation of black people and the same thing, Oprah. There, there, There always had to be that one to open a door for others. You know, Arthur Ashe opened a door for Venus and Serena Williams. Right. Do you think that having that responsibility also brings with it like more stress? Because I was thinking about this, like with this interview and on Twitter, like, do you worry? Like, what if I say the wrong thing? Because you worry that people are looking at you and listening more than they would for somebody else? Uh, sometimes I do. But then I have to remind myself that if somebody didn't like me, that they were, they already had that opinion of me. Mm-hmm. So I don't worry so much, but occasionally I'm like, I don't know if I should have said that, but, oh, I got to live with it. because. If you get to know me, you're going to hear me say it one way or another, whether I say it outright or if I say it in a veiled message. And right. so I turned 40 earlier this year, and I guess maybe half my life is gone. I don't know. <laughs> uh, well, hey, you know, only God knows. I only have so much time left in this earth, and I feel more of a responsibility to be not only to do well for myself and my future family, future legacy, you know, for my business, mm-hmm. but also be like the John the Baptist to prepare the way for other Black professionals who, who will probably do better than me. Right. And it's important for me to excel because, especially now in the last couple of months, I'm getting DMs from young Black kids or CPAs like, you know, you really inspire me. I, I read your article in Forbes. I saw you interview America's, uh, America's Voice Live. You know, I saw you in Spectrum News and or I used to see you on the CW. I used to co-host a TV show and having, you know, these young, these young African-American men and women saying that inspire them. It's important because they need to see that, hey, here's someone that looks like me and this is what I want to do. Well, if he's able to do this and it's safe for him, now it's safe for me. And, you know, and some of these people are, you know, have more skills than me, but they need to see, like you said earlier, just like I think it's important that women see you know, women leadership and, you know, the fortune 500. Now you have 37 women out of 500 that are women CEOs, but I would love to see the fortune 500 improve 
Right. Now, when it comes to black CEOs, when they have no black female CEOs, only four black males. Right. But at least now women, seeing that you're getting close, getting getting close to eight percent, which is phenomenal compared to where we're at 10, 15 years ago. Now you're seeing, you know, more female entrepreneurs. So now it's up to us, you know, people like me, you know, I'm not gonna wait in the AICPA to do what they promised, you know, which basically they've shown me that they've written a check that's bounced. So now let me do my part to help raise up more black CPAs. And if they want to join me, that's great. If they don't, that's fine. You know, we're going to respect the license. You know, we're going to get more people to get the license and then we're going to open up more black home firms. And then, then we can start hiring not only our own people, but then we can start hiring other races as well. Right. And I think that's what's going to take to make a change that, you know, as black professionals, we need to take responsibility first and foremost for our own, just like you take responsibility for your own children before other, you tell other people to help them out. Sure. No, I think that's fantastic. And and it's interesting because I was actually going to ask you a, a little a bit of a, of a side question about this, which is when I grew up, I had never met a female lawyer. I cannot mm. recall the first time that I met a female lawyer. I believe it probably was in law school, but I saw them on TV occasionally. You know, there was Sandra Day O'Connor and, and there were yeah. people that I would look at and think like, wow, like that, that's awesome. Right. So obviously getting a higher profile brings a lot more responsibility, but it also does kind of send a message to people like, look, I've done this, you can do it. But one of the things that's really kind of fascinating to me, kind of going back to the economic thing is you, you know, you, you said you grew up, you had that role model, right? You had your dad. What do you say to like the little black and brown boys and girls that are growing up that don't have those role models? Like, I know you want to be one, but like, what do you say to them? Like, because being a CPA, is, it's a lot of work. Like people know, like you have to go, yes. to, to, go to college <laughs> and you have to take exams and you, you know, mm-hmm. you have to continue to do education. It's not mm-hmm. just something that you can like, I'm good at math. I'll be a CPA. Like it's hard work. Like, what do you tell them? Or what do you say? Like, how do you convince the next generation coming up that this is a really cool profession and you can do it? That's a great question. I would say to, to these young people, if you can't find somebody that you you can relate to, you have a thing called Google. That's how some people found me is mm-hmm. typing black CPAs. So to my fellow black CPAs that are practiced, you need to have your SEO tighten up to where your name comes up when people are searching black CPA. Right. So that's the first thing I would do there. But this profession is great because the opportunity to make money and, and change lives Right. It's just incredible. I once did a tax strategy to help a client save $3 million and I was able to get a check for Mm -hmm. $100,000, which was really helpful. Yeah, not not bad for a day's work. (laughs) No, no, it's not. It's not bad at all. I'm looking more, I'm trying to get more of those kind of paydays. So, right, right. You know, you really have an opportunity because a lot of people do value good tax accounting and it allows you to build legitimate relationships with your client. And so that's why I would encourage people to do it and allows you to understand all the business cycles. You know, I think that's what's unique about accounting versus other professions. Now I do think lawyers, they have to understand the business too, but not all of them. <laughs> but yes. <laughs> Agreed. But Agreed. the good lawyers understand good business because they have to be able to defend sure. the, the client. Right. And also being a, a CPA you're not limited to just doing, you know, financial statements. Mm-hmm. You know, there are people that you can do just audits. You can do tax representation. 
Right. You know, you can specialize, you know, one of our niches is, is real estate, you know, commercial real estate. So, you know, I help clients set up their cost segregation study due to accelerate depreciation. And we have a client that we're, we're about to create $400,000 of cash flow, including getting $150,000 in taxes that she had paid in 2019 because of the loophole in the CARES Act on the carryback. Right. We have another client who, you know, they had owed $200,000 in taxes, but because they had such a big loss, they don't have to pay any of those taxes and they still get to carry four, six hundred something thousand dollars. And I think that's actually a great point. I think a lot of times when people think about CPAs or tax attorneys, they think you do one kind of work. There are so many different kinds of work. There are people who only do state and local income tax. There are people who only do right. audits or only do um, you know, preparation or only do S-corps. I mean, there's just, it's, it's a huge like the profession itself lends itself to a lot of different kinds of work, which is why I love it so much. I think it's so interesting and it, there's so many different ways like that things that appeal to you, whether it's like you mentioned real estate. I, I'm kind of, it's funny that you've talked so much about basketball because I'm a big sports fan, as you may know. And, um, and my kid, he wanted to be a professional soccer player for a really long time. And he's just started writing lately. And one of the things I keep joking with him about is, you know, my kid can tell you which professional soccer players in Europe have been accused of tax evasion because there's a soccer link to tax, just like you can do mm-hmm. the same thing with your real estate or Hollywood or yeah. Well, I know Messi had a, had a tax case out there. Oh he, yeah. I think he had Messi, to settle for Ronaldo, like Neymar. Oh yeah. No, they all 50 have. million euros <laughs> or something. They've all been accused. Um, it's, it's a big world, big profession. So uh, thank you so much for the conversation. I've, you, I've loved it. I have um, one more question, which you can choose to, to answer or not. But one of the <laughs> things that I, I thought was really interesting in your pop-up is you mentioned that your, your family was constantly reminded that they were the first Black family that the country club let in, which I'm amazed, first of all, <laughs> in this day and age, that so that would even be true. And then secondly, that they would tell you that does that kind of thing make you want to go out and join like 10 country clubs? Because I, I can tell you I've had a similar experience. <laughs> Does it make you want more when you hear those kinds of things? You know, it's funny. I've been, you know, on the fence about it because, you know, growing up and seeing that stuff, I resented country clubs. Really? Uh, I couldn't stand. Yeah, I couldn't stand that. I had to wear slacks to go eat lunch to my dad. You know, <laughs> in college. Me, yeah. Because, you know, I was wearing those big baggy shorts. Mm-hmm. I miss those shorts, by the way. Oh, those are so comfortable. <laughs> you know, right now I've been focusing my resources on, you know, my firm. I, I am a member of Club Core, and there's some, some of those places are country clubs. So mm-hmm. I do see the necessary evil. I guess, I don't know if it's necessary evil, but they do help with networking. Oh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. I was just wondering, like, if it's the kind of thing where you did, like you kind of mentioned, like, do you harbor any resentment or, or do you kind of take it as a challenge? I take it as a challenge. I mean, you know, I can't, you know, harbor resentment. You know, I, when I go to the UT club uh, here in Austin or the uh, U club for, you know, for that kind of stuff. And because it is what it is. I mean, look, our country was founded on the basis of racism and exploiting, you know, indigenous and brown, uh, indigenous people and, uh, you know, African slaves to build up. And uh, it's not, it's not, fun for me to know that mm-hmm. but it's just something that you know at this point now it's not to say that I, i'm not just taking it out to get over it 
I know it's there, but at some point I can choose either to focus my energy on that, or I could focus on op- opening doors to myself, my family and other minorities. And while we're doing that, we can still hold people accountable. I, I right. guess that's the attitude that I want to take. Two more questions for you. One. Yeah. So if people are looking for you on the internet, where can they find you? Uh, well, there's a lot of places to find me. I think my, I have friends that say I'm too easy to be found, but uh, on Instagram, you can find me personally at your favorite CPA. Mm-hmm. You can also find my firm on Instagram at Pierre Accounting. Uh, on Twitter, you can find me at your fave CPA. Uh, you can also find Pierre Accounting on Twitter as well. And then on Facebook, our company page is uh, Pierre Accounting. And then I have a personal Facebook page under my name, Eric Pierre. And then our website is, is www.pierreaccounting.com. Thank you. And I'm going to make sure to put those uh, links in the show notes for anybody who is interested. And then, so my final question is, since I now know that you played professional basketball Mm -hmm. and now since, since my guy is hurt, who do you have uh, taken the championship this year? Ooh. Ooh. By the way, was your your guy Joel and Ben Simmons? No. Well, both of them, sadly, at this point, but Embiid, yeah. Oh man, this is tough. You know what? I'm going to stick with my pick beginning of season. Uh, I'm going to pick the Los Angeles Lakers to win. You think? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Even though they're playing a little shaky, I don't trust the LA Clippers. They have some players that have never gotten done in the playoffs, and I think it's going to show up again. And I and I do believe that this is LeBron's last good chance. And I think he's paced himself for an impressive uh, playoff run. And I think you're going to see guys like Kyle Kuzma and David Caruso step up. So my gut says the Lakers, even though my head should say the LA Clippers, mm-hmm. I'm going to say the Lakers, even though I'm a Rockets fan and I don't like the Lakers, but I think they're the best team in the league. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. It's been fantastic. Thank you, Kelly. Thank you for having me on your podcast today. And that will do it for this episode. You can find me on Twitter and Facebook at Tax Girl. And you can sign up for my free newsletter at taxgirl.com. Thanks for listening. Because paying taxes is painful, but hearing about them doesn't have to be.